as Chicagoans. We are finally leaving the chill of winter behind us and are gratefully embracing the fact that we are moving into spring. That will inevitably be rainy or even foggy. But what if the fog surrounding us today isn't the atmosphere at all? What if it is more of a metaphorical fog? Few educational topics are foggier than assessment, even for the most experienced educators. But hold on to your foghorns, folks, because the GLG is here to share some assessment strategies and hacks sure to shed some light on the topic, hoping to dissipate the fog and make the path to solid classroom assessment as clear as a bright, sunny day. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, La Capitana Casey Veach, team skeptic and idea slinger of spaghetti, Emily Coquelin, and me, clarifying the GLG butter, Jenny Labrie. When we experience brain fog, we can't focus, we get easily confused, can't recall information, or don't make the best decisions. That feeling of our brains fogging up is similar to what students experience when they have test or assessment anxiety. But this feeling too is also common for teachers trying to make sense of assessment practices. Should I collect and do I need to grade everything? How can I draft the perfect ungoogleable questions or prompts? But when we are lost in the fog like that, we need to remember the assessment lighthouse to help us chart our course. The purpose of education isn't about the grade. It's about showing what you know and how far you've come. So the intention of this episode is to clear up the misconceptions clouding our assessment practices and provide some hacks to help lift the fog. All right, so since we've been talking about this assessment fog a little bit here, just leading in, what would we consider assessment fog to be? Let's just kind of start for ourselves or our fellow teachers. What does that look like? I'll go ahead and start with this one. So as an educator, as a teacher with my own students, I loved the planning piece. I loved designing lessons. I loved working with the kids and seeing those light bulbs go off. I had horrible assessment fog. Like I would collect assessments from students and I would feel completely overwhelmed because I was an English teacher and I felt like I had to grade all the things and look at all the things on an essay that the students would write for me. And I would just feel paralyzed because of the overwhelm I felt when looking at those piles. As a teacher over winter break, I would collect my students' 12-page research papers and they would just sit and sit and sit because of how overwhelmed I felt looking at them. My husband remembers actually me crying while looking over these piles of papers. So it can be really overwhelming, especially at the secondary level when you really aren't intentional about what you're looking for in assessment. And that's something that I really struggled with as an educator with my students. I agree with you, kind of from English major corner. That was really tough starting out. And I felt like I was literally letting them down if I didn't read Mm -hmm. and provide feedback on every single thing that they wrote from their own brain. So like a little grammar exercise, sure. But like if it was actual like writing assessment, oh my gosh, I I was so bogged down in the need to 
be a part of it, not just let them carry it, but make myself a part of it. I think I overinserted myself, you know? And truly, I will name and acknowledge, I did let students down. I had students who were desperate for my feedback. And because of that crippling assessment fog I felt, I did not give them the feedback that I knew they craved, wanted, and deserved. And that is, at least for me as a teacher, the heaviest piece that still weighs on my heart. I feel like I let my kids down because of that fog that I felt. You know, we want to acknowledge that in you, Casey, and all of our listeners that are here hoping to get some hacks for assessment. Absolutely. I think that a lot of what we see, especially as students age through the system, in the primary grades, you're seeing a lot more standards-based, which that could be a whole other episode, right? But when we think oh, yeah. of <laughs> assessments for how teachers approach or educators approach assessment, oftentimes we're enmeshing the concepts of assessment and reporting. And when we are able Mm -hmm. to delineate the difference between those two, that can oftentimes help. So when we think of them as the same thing, or I talk to so many teachers, especially as they get into the high school levels, like, well, I'm not going to assess this if I'm not going to give points and a grade to this. And that's reporting. That's the land of reporting. But if we take Mm -hmm. those and separate those, now we're in business because then it frees us up and it gives us a little bit more space and margin to think differently about it. And then our students, because nobody likes point mongering, right? It just takes Mm, commitment and it takes some ingenuity on our parts to think differently about how we assess and what we're doing with that feedback. And what gets in the grade book? Is it about the grade, right? We said that in the beginning. Is it really about the grade? But how do we help with engagement? There's so much to it. But really, it's honoring and understanding the difficulties you're talking about, Casey, that we've all been there and we've all felt. It's, Mm -hmm. It's a lot. It is. And, you know, I think when you mentioned that idea of engagement, that kind of then brings up the idea of what does this assessment fog look like for our kids, for Mm -hmm. our students? What are they needing and not getting? I think the biggest piece that I remember, even from my classroom and coaching experience, is the, the test anxiety, the assessment day of the test coming. And I, as a classroom teacher, taught primarily honors students. My kids would come in and like shake because they were so wound up about feeling like they had to do well because of the way my private school's grading scale was. Like it was a 95 was where the A stopped. We put so much emphasis on you have to do well on this test because this is where your future starts and and all of this. But really it's about, and supposed to be, I've learned, it's about the learning. It's not about the grade. It shouldn't be about the grade. It's about where we are now compared to where we used to be and what we now know and can do. I would agree with that. And I also think I have seen some of that, like you said, you had a little bit of paralysis and starting to grade the pile. I think sometimes when you're looking at a a bigger, more uh, summative type of assessment that combines multiple skills or might show more than one thing, sometimes you can freeze up a student, let's say if one of those gives them a hard time, they might just completely melt down on the entire thing. Yeah, and you just mentioned another major thing that I've noticed, Jenny, is this idea of, like you said, point-mongering, like kind of grade-grabbing a little bit. Like I think the students, like especially, we've talked about it before, students who have grown up playing a more traditional education game and grown up in in systems that really value those points and and that reporting, they really want to go for every individual point and really get stuck on what is and is not for a grade, and that can be tricky too. 
Well, it's reminding me of a pop culture reference because this is what I do. Do you remember the movie Clueless where she's like, the report card is the first offer. <laughs> and then she goes <laughs> yes. to try to negotiate because yes. her dad was a lawyer. But that's what it truly can feel like if you put the emphasis on those reporting pieces and grades. Well, this is just a first offer. And if I can make a case which we're going to be talking about later. That's not a bad hack, which we'll talk about how we can leverage that for good to really showcase what a student has learned instead of after the fact, it's not the first offer. Yeah. And I would like to even just one more thing with that with our students is, and often we're like, they won't do it if it's not for a grade. And I would argue they will, but stick with it. It's that over time mm-hmm. and that commitment to how you are thinking about your assessment with students and how you're talking about assessment with students that eventually 95% of them come around. But we've always got those outliers in general. But most of them, when they see and they know the end game and they know they can be successful in that, if they use the assessments leading up to that measurement of learning, you're going to get a lot more buy-in. But you can't assume that it's going to change overnight when a lot of them, especially if they're in the secondary levels, have been playing school, quote unquote, for upwards of a decade. Yeah, it's definitely not innate. They have to really build that muscle. So transitioning into talking about how we build up these muscles for teachers, for students, for everybody, how do we start lifting this fog and and helping clear up some of these problems? Just when we think about all things related to mental health mindset, it's always going to first start with mindset. And for me, it starts with, am I assessing learning or is this assessment for learning? I think if I would have approached a lot of my classroom teaching experience away from assessment of learning and towards assessment for learning, I would have had a much easier time lifting that fog from me because my students need, I need this so I can decide what our next move is going to be as a teacher. Because after the fact, oftentimes I'll hear teachers that I coach say, well, they're not looking at their feedback. They're not looking at their feedback. They keep making the same mistake. Well, it's because it's between eight weeks from when you initially wrote it and when you have another assessment that's asking them to do the same skill. That's why we have that time gap. So it's not really assessment for learning anymore because we have that gap. Yes, and I also will think a lot about, you know, how you, what you get from your formative assessment will really help you determine not just like when they get the next assessment on it, but what type of instruction and and Mm follow-up you need to do. You know, it really is going to dictate like what sort of mini lessons or experiences need to happen in this class to make sure that the students are able to continue doing the things that they did well and get the things that they didn't get. Yeah, I work within a system where we have... 80% of your grade is related to a summative assessment and 20% is related to a formative assessment. And you might often hear a teacher argue, well, if it's worth only 20% of the grade, they're really not going to do it. But when you have the clarity and the focus of your curriculum Mm -hmm. and your lesson design, when we start making those incremental steps and decisions through formative assessment and they directly line up to what does it look like when you're successful at Mm -hmm. the quote-unquote end of learning or the marking term, whatever that might be, you're going to see that they're going to trust you as their teacher 
because you have that clarity and you have that focus and that transparency with them that, hey, if I am being assessed and that feedback is there, I know I can, as the student, almost anticipate what my grade is going to be because I've practiced it so much. It has been clear communicated to me and it's been transparent all along and that does lower the anxiety that we've been describing because there isn't they're not going in blind hoping and cramming for our test right and that truly comes down to clearly articulating what those success criteria are so if you are expecting students to be able to draft a persuasive prompt response what are the different components that have to be in there and provide a number of examples at various points in drafting to help get them there. If you don't have that clarity and those clear success criteria, you're actually doing yourself as the assessor and feedback provider Mm -hmm. a disservice. You're making your job Mm -hmm. harder. You're working harder, not smarter. I love that, Casey, that you are bringing in an example. Another one that pops into my head, for example, we had a lot of assessments that were related to all scopes of language acquisition, reading, writing, listening, and speaking. Mm -hmm. One that comes to mind is our speaking assessment was something that was high anxiety, right? Just speaking in general, but speaking in your second language. And what we would do is, if we're hoping that they can have a certain kind of conversation, what we as educators in our PLC would do is backwards plan what were those formative checkpoints? And we would scaffold each element of that conversation and break it into chunks over time for them to practice mm-hmm. and then provide feedback on each, the salutation of the conversation. What is the response to this particular prompt that has to do with the vocabulary? And these were manageable chunks so that when they got into those right. larger conversations, they already knew where they were strong in their conversation or where they might need to clean up or prepare a little bit more for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would say the last thing you need to consider as far as helping clear things up is to really consider the DOK of what you're asking kids to do. When I say DOK, I'm meaning Webb's depths of knowledge, right? Yeah. yeah, so you need to really think about what you're asking kids to demonstrate. Remember, we're talking about this this central idea of kids showing what they know. So what mm-hmm. are you asking them to do to represent what they know? Are they just recalling facts and dates and figures? Are they applying a skill? Are they having to apply it to a different situation, a different prompt? Are they having to create something? I think you do want to really consider that when you're designing assessment. Absolutely. And to me, this part plays into those piles we mentioned. Mm -hmm. You know, if I am grading all the things, including the recall, then I have no space on my plate for the things that really align to the rigor of my content area standards. Those standards are supposed to be in the extension or strategic levels of creation, synthesis, compare and contrast. That doesn't happen if I don't have the time to do it. So as a teacher, one thing we want to do is is be very, very strategic in what we assess so we can free up space on our plates for those bigger things. Casey, I love that you're talking about knowing your standards as well. A lot of what I do in my Mm -hmm. current role is I work across our K-12 district with our learning continuum, which include the entire sequence of our standards, K-12. And so when we bring in our educators, we're working with a team of science educators on the NGSS standards. 
social studies, with inquiry, etc. We've also got all of our math groups coming in and our ELE groups. So I'm seeing a lot of our teachers talking around their standards. And the more familiar they are with those standards, you'd be shocked. Even they are shocked when they're like, oh, I'm actually assessing above the level of rigor of standards. Sometimes we think, okay, mm-hmm. well, we're just doing the recall all the time. But sometimes in, in an mm-hmm. effort to challenge our students, we are actually assessing far beyond the level of standard that is required of the student as well. So knowing our standards is really important to help us prepare in those assessments, but also make sure that we're measuring the right level of what students need to know at that particular time. I mean, you guys are already towing the line into it anyways, you know, talking about your understanding of the standards kind of being one of those ways to really jump into hacking into assessment and really doing the things that are going to make it less foggy, make it clearer. You mentioned clarity specifically, clearer for everybody. So what are some of those other things that we can do or think about or consider to help? I can't not mention authentic assessment. That's really where my heart is. I love, I absolutely love when we start to reimagine, redesign and innovate for assessment. I understand that we're also working within a very traditional education system in general, and this will take time. But when we really think about who is the authentic audience that our students are creating and producing projects for, or they're showing their learning beyond just my eyes as their teacher. Oh my goodness, it just opens the doors to what that could be. The possibilities are endless. That will transcend any content area. I have yet to find a a level of content that authentic assessment doesn't work in. But it does require two things. Being willing to change when we've got so much and it's so complex Mm -hmm. and having to get rid of some of the assessments that we already did. And also, you have to have an open mind. And if you have those two things, mm-hmm. then the authentic assessment is a great hack. There's so many things. For example, one example that comes to mind, I could talk all day, but I will shore it up with something like Genius Hour or 20 Time. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, and I think, too, this ties into the authentic assessment piece. If kids are given choice about what their assessment products or artifacts would look like through that lens of authenticity, that creates a bit more novelty. For me as a reviewer, like I'm not just going to read 120 15-page essays. I'm going to see a pamphlet. I'm going to watch a video. I'm going to have a live demonstration debate between two of my students on this particular research topic that they've chosen. It creates some excitement in me, but in order for that to happen, I have to have a really high quality assessment tool. And my hack is going to be rethinking our rubrics. If I look back at the initial rubrics that I drafted, you know, there are four columns and my criteria within each of those rating spaces is some always like super, super vague and super subjective. Instead, if you have high quality success criteria for what proficiency or mastery looks like, you can turn that into a scoring guide that does this first paragraph have a claim? Is it supported by at least three key details? Is the topic evidence provided relevant? And does the artifact explain why the claim is true? Check, check, check. And if something is missing, that's the feedback. Because feedback truly is about the performance or the artifact 
in relation to the success criteria. Mm-hmm. So the absence of a check mark is the feedback because it tells the student exactly what was missing. So rethinking rubrics and moving them into Larry Ainsworth does a lot of work with scoring guides. Definitely check that out if you're looking for a more efficient way to help assess student performance artifacts. Yes, I think that that's a nice way of simplifying it. And again, it provides that thread of clarity throughout when you're providing students with that success criteria, and then they see those same criteria for success showing up on their rubric. It really draws that line all the way through and the students can see what the things that they were having to work on. Like you said earlier, Jenny, the things that they worked on earlier, they're showing up in the assessment, they had to be able to do it. And the little exercises that we did or the different experiences that we had to work up to it they matter because I either did it or I didn't. It's not a bunch of gray area in the middle. And two, if you're not quite comfortable yet in your understanding of a scoring guide, trying a single point rubric can be really helpful. So Jennifer Gonzalez, Cult of Pedagogy, has a blog post about this. But essentially, a single point rubric is a single column You remove all four of the ratings on a typical rubric, and it's just the proficient. And you have that column in the middle, and then a below column, and then an exceeds. And that is where you provide feedback on what you are seeing in the artifact or the performance from the student on how they have met or are above the standard or what they need to work on. So it simplifies your view as the teacher to help make you more efficient as well. Love that. Another one that's kind of speaking to my former tech coach, maybe sometimes current tech coach heart here is the idea of maybe bringing in some technology to take some of that load in terms of assessment. There are so many tools out there that you can use Mm -hmm. to provide students an opportunity to show that they know something or know how to do something, right? Yeah, some of my favorites are Nearpod, Flipgrid. Oh, I still call it Flipgrid, even though it's Flip. Because, and we'll go through this a little bit later when we go through our next example of interview assessments, you can have a student record themselves articulating what they have learned, and you don't have to meet with every single student individually. That was one of the things, as much as I want to, and that is helpful, and we want to do that regularly you can use up a lot of class time. One of the ways I found that I could actually get through students' writings more efficiently was I would have the kids read it to the class because it became an authentic audience. Granted, it wasn't the most efficient use of class time because they were reading their papers, (laughs) but I actually got to assess. And one of my students, I remember saying, oh my gosh, this is the fastest I have ever gotten any assignment back ever. And I felt really proud of that. So shifting and using some tech tools to bring in that piece can be helpful, but still having those one-on-one conversations. Yeah, Google is great for that as well, especially if you're doing anything in the asynchronous realm. You can be giving feedback at any time of day (laughs) instead of having to hand Mm -hmm. it back. And also really leveraging your LMS as well, the comments and discussion boards. Mm -hmm. There's ways to provide the opportunity for students and teacher to have 
whether it is conversation or dialogue, but also through texting or communicating in that way around the clock. Now, please, everyone, go to bed early. You don't have to be up and (laughs) submitting things at 2 a.m. We've all seen it. That's really not my point. But my point is that you don't have to wait until the block of time when you see that student to be able to hand something back to them, where we could really leverage the asynchronous elements that technology can provide us. Yeah. Yeah, or even trying to get your hands in more things synchronously. You know, when you're trying to look at a couple a couple different students' papers and you're walking around the room, whoever's got their hand up might be whoever you go, you're walking over to, and the conversation could be five to ten minutes. Mm-hmm. That's like yep. a huge chunk of class. You know, whereas if you're just kind of quickly writing a few comments, you see somebody's hook is not great in their introduction. You see somebody else is having a transition issue. Just a quick, check this part right here, highlight it, comment. You know, you can be a little bit quicker and more on the ball, help kids, you know, steer the ship or be aware of what to check. Give some feedback before there's a mistake rather than just, oh, you need to work on this skill and then they forget Mm -hmm. about it or don't even read it, you know? That's a perfect transition to the next hack we had talked about. Initially, in our lifting the assessment fog, figuring out what our mindset is, whether we're assessing learning after the fact or assessment for learning, incorporating entry and or exit tickets that are actually used for instructional purposes. So oftentimes at the end of class, a teacher may have a student write down, you know, what's something that you've learned as a result of this lesson or what's the biggest, most important piece you're walking away with from today. And then we don't do anything with it, Mm -hmm. right? So whether that's create a drawing of the cell that we studied today, what you remember without looking at your notes or doing a write around or a turn and talk, those are great. But actually asking kids, what's the muddiest point? Like what's the most confusing thing for you about this lesson right now? And have them try to articulate it so that you can use that information to help design things later and have those conversations in the future. As you're talking about the muddiest point, that reminds me of another one that I love. My favorite no is another way. And that yes. that's also a growth mindset yes. technique as well. But my favorite mm-hmm. no is also a way to grab the attention and engagement and show that we're on a journey learning this, and we may not have it yet. So I love when you could do that mm-hmm. as well, taking in those those ones that maybe we don't know yet that are mm-hmm. trending as common knows for other people or might have similar misconceptions that they're wanting to clear up. That's one of the ones I always recommend for any math yep. uh, people that I'm coaching, because that is the perfect place to efficiently do a my favorite no. You can do it in other content areas. I have always found it difficult to do in ELA and reading, but it's still doable. It's just one of my favorites and math people love it because they're already doing bell ringers. Mm-hmm. Just swap out the bell ringer for the note card. You can collect it and sh- and talk about thinking right there in an authentic format. You bet. Yeah. And if you're seeing trends across the favorite nose, you know something mm-hmm. else you want to hit on again with that formative, inf- using it to inform your instruction too. I think another thing that can really be a huge hack or help would be more dynamic assessments. So not just using mm-hmm. tech, but to have the students be more a part of the process themselves. Like you had mentioned conversations with students a little bit, Casey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the generalized heading for this is the interview assessment. So Mm -hmm. sitting down with the student 
at the end of the unit and actually doing conferencing. Like a teacher that I coached with for a very long time, she was frequently doing reading conferences with students and having them share their thinking about the books they were reading and how they have changed, how they're using the eight reading strategies. And that was how she really assessed how they were improving as readers. Now, there's another example we have for you that our amazing Jenny Labrie used when she was teaching with her students and Emily coached her on, which is super fun. Who goes first, Emily? I think you should say what it was. It was your idea. You just coached me through it. Well, this is one of my favorites. And you want the students to be a part of it, but you want them to be honest about really what they know and what they're able to demonstrate. And so I had mentioned a little bit earlier about the Genius Hour. So Emily and I had worked on a project of how to bring Genius Hour into my Spanish classroom. But one of the last bits of that entire coaching cycle and that project was dang it, how are we going to grade like student learning? Like, what are we going to do? And it was brilliant what we came up with together. Again, I couldn't have done this by myself, was this idea of student-led grading interviews. The students came with a proposal of what they wanted their grade to be at the end of this entire project that we had worked on. And there were several ways. I want to give Emily the mic for the opportunity to talk through those steps that they did when they brought into the interview, and then I can bring it home with what we did with recording it all. Yes, yes. So I think we were inspired by the process that Catlin Tucker was using, right, Bunny? And that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what we had had the students do was they would come in with more or less, like you said, a proposal or a pitch on what they thought they should get on their Genius Hour project. But they couldn't just say, here's why I think they had to bring some evidence. So of the work that they had done along the way or of their final product or of, you know, an experience that they had had through their research. And I think of all of those different facets of the pro- of the project, the creative part, the day-to-day upkeep part, the organization and research part of things, uh, the, the Spanish part of things, because they did have to tie it to their Spanish language speaking and listening and reading skills as well. So they had to provide some evidence in all of those areas and use that as the impetus for why they thought that they were going to get the grade that they did. Phase two was that Jenny then as their teacher would counter, would go through the evidence, look at what they had brought and also with maybe reference to different evidence or maybe reference to the same evidence say, okay, well, you're saying A+, plus, but I'm seeing more of a A- minus because A, B, C, uh, things that you see throughout the evidence. And again, always drawing on real evidence and actual strategies and things that the students have done. And then finally, the student would get to counter one more time with their evidence and try to meet you in the middle, so to speak. So, you know, there's your clueless reference again with the the great negotiation, but the fact that they had so much ability to refer to their own evidence in everything that they had done and created and worked through as a part of this very open assignment where they could do so put bring so much of themselves and their interests into it really brought the accountability and I'd say a lot of pride in what the kids were doing. Oh, yeah, it was so much Mm -hmm. more enriching having them come to the table. So there are two things that I want to point out on this one, and then we can move on. The first part is this, I had to use our LMS, what we would do is record those conversations that I was having that would then be posted up into their student profile within our course in the LMS. And that way, parents could even listen to that conversation if there was ever any kind of discrepancy or frustration or anything. It just 
takes a lot of the pressure off of the educator to get it right because we were partnering mm-hmm. in this as well as partnering with another stakeholder which is our parents and letting them be able to hear that so that's the first thing and then the second thing that i would say that is super important oftentimes when people hear this story a teacher will tell me i don't have time for that how do you have time to have those conversations with everything else going on with every student that you have and what i would say is to make this short go back to our talk nerdy to me series and blended learning blended learning is how Mm -hmm. i did that Mm -hmm. carving out the time and not thinking chronologically about my lesson planning but thinking differently and how it is all embedded together so if you want to know more about that or if you are a little skeptical on this one you want to listen more about how to do that through our blended learning episode Yes, yes. It's a great hack to end this on. So yeah, thanks for sharing that very powerful strategy, because really, how great is it to see students literally doing two thirds of the grading of themselves through self reflection? It's so metacognitive Mm -hmm. and awesome. Yeah. Okay, so love fest complete. Now let's play a little game. This one could get a little silly, I think. Yeah, so this one's pretty fun. Usually it's accompanied by an adult beverage or two, but this one we've decided to just go with uh, water as our means of agreement or coffee in Emily's case. (laughs) Sorry. How do you think I do this on Saturday nights? (laughs) Exactly. So we are playing Never Have I Ever Assessment Edition. So each of us is going to provide at least one assessment, never have I ever phrase in the hopes of getting the others or even ourselves to admit that assessment thing and hopefully have some laughs and fun about what can really be a heavy thing in education. So are we ready? Yep. Think so. Yeah. (laughs) So the winner will be the one because we want to normalize that this is a heavy thing. The winner is actually going to be the person who's done these the most. Yes. So yeah, because that's the person who's having the most assessment plus. <laughs> saying I've got a shot. <laughs> okay. All right. You always win, start- Emily. Not only <laughs> trivia stuff, man. Not on the innocence end of things. <laughs> Never have yeah. I ever. No. <laughs> Jenny, you're up. All right. Her. I'll go first. So my first one. Never have I ever taken the SAT. <sighs> I'm not drinking. I- <laughs> I haven't either. Nor have I. Ah! <laughs> Look at that. I thought maybe you had, and I thought I just went to a weird high school. But if, that might just be a generation thing because no. it was ACT Ooh, when yeah. we were in high school. Do I have to drink if I've scribed it for someone else no. in an accommodated setting? No. I feel like back in our day, <laughs> I always was told if you wanted to go to school on the East Coast, you wanted to take the SAT. If you wanted to go somewhere nice and close to home like me, I just took the ACT because they provided it in school at the time. So pretty much got the same advice. That must have been a real standard thing yeah. that we're doing from where we were from. Like if basically if you want to stick to the Midwest or even think about anywhere in the middle of the country, you might as well take the ACT. Also, I don't think mm-hmm. what I did accommodations on was the SAT either. So still not drinking. Yep. I find this really ironic. And so if you are an educator that is working with students that take SATs, we've actually had our high school teachers look at the SAT and take them themselves because it is so very Mm -hmm. different than a lot of us have had to experience with the ACT. And so if you're helping students, you want to know really what that SAT is about. 
and that's really powerful to do just assessment nerd to give the actual AIR assessments to for Illinois give them two teachers to actually take at their grade level so they have an awareness of what their students are facing. Okay, so I will go. Never have I ever failed an assessment myself. Cheers. (laughs) (laughs) I got close. I remember in sophomore no, junior year math geometry, I got a D plus on my final. So I was close. I never. No. So you remember at the beginning when I said <laughs> that there was a particular type of meltdown when the one thing that you don't understand or weren't good at is kind of central to doing well on the test. That happened to me on a college final. And my grade calculation was such that I would have gotten one grade in the class if I had passed. All I had to do was pass the final. I got the other grade. Uh, So I know what happened. uh, I I knew before I left that room what happened. It was so frustrating, but that meltdown occurred. And overall, my GPA was fine. So all's well that ends well. But yeah, I have absolutely failed the test. And it was a final exam. You know what? I'm going to reel this back. And uh, you're not alone, Emily. Now that I think about it, I failed. Even on this pod, I've talked about it in our failure episode. I had failed my Praxis test four or five (gasps) times. But that wasn't while I was. That's that's not while I was. I was thinking back to the good old days of K-12. No, this was after graduating college and I was struggling through. So yeah, that was that assessment. I totally forgot. So I'll drink. All right. Salute, Jenny. (laughs) (laughs) In a similar vein, never have I ever fallen asleep during a major assessment. Cheers. (laughs) (laughs) You have not. Oh, I have. All right, let's hear that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. I did well on that one, by the way. <laughs> this is more tales from college finals. I've got a lot of these, man. We could be here all night. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I was doing an all-nighter. I was cramming. I was getting final projects done. And I, I, it was, I, I had all of my finals very early in the week, as well as three shifts where I was working that all needed to com- be completed in the course of like two days. So I was just trying to smash it all in there at once so I could go home earlier on break. So I was literally just burning the candle at both ends. I was having way more caffeine than I have in me right now, and it was absurd. And when I actually got into the final, it was so quiet. I was writing an essay. I just thought I would rest my eyes for a second. Famous last words. Don't do that. Ever. No, don't do that. I woke up not sure quite how much time I had left and realizing that I had forgotten the name of the main character that I was writing about. I finished the oh. essay just using the protagonist <laughs> and the main character. <laughs> I got a B plus. <laughs> That's awesome. Bravo. So yeah, yes, college money well spent. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> All right. Currently, Emily is leading. I'm going to pick another one that I think Emily has done, but we'll see. No, don't do one Emily has done. We, yeah, we don't want to win. We don't want Coakland sweep. Okay. Mm. Never have I ever cheated on a test. <laughs> you have a higher opinion of me than I have of myself. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Middle school was a weird time. That's all I'm going to tell Yeah, mine, mine was high school. I, I'm not proud of the fact that I asked a friend who took the class that I was taking the semester ahead of me if I could see her final paper. 
And granted, I did make it my own, but it was not mine own to begin with. Yeah, mine was just a a middle school, very naughty class that almost had a whole system of like coughing and yawning and things that would imply different answers from the smartest people in the class. It was awful. (laughs) I'm I'm so sorry. We were so naughty. I don't know. But we were 13, you know, mistakes are made. (laughs) Yep. So in mine, I have nothing to say because I hadn't cheated on a test either. So who's next? (laughs) All right, that's me. Never have I ever been called to the principal's office to turn in my grades on the last day of school. I'm innocent. I did it. (laughs) it, Like like you didn't have them turned in and you needed them turned in? Like, oh, as a yeah, teacher, not, not a student. I was still oh. grading as a teacher. Oh, yeah, no. I was still grading the day of because I was that teacher who I would always give performance assessments to my kids as finals. Like, there was always a writing component to what I was grading. So it was like I was by the skin of my teeth, and the principal called me over the PA, Miss Feach, please come to the office. <laughs> To submit your final your grade. Deadline is due, <laughs> your deadline is yeah. looming. But it was right like down to the, the wire. naughty girl, <laughs> naughty girl deadline because I think it was like two o'clock in the afternoon and grades were due at noon and I still had was still working Oof. through them. Ooh. So, yeah. All right. Well, our final one, and I'm actually going to preface this because I didn't know that the winner of this was going to be the person who had done as many of the things because, of course, (laughs) I went with things that, you know, were probably applicable to lots of people or maybe just very, very naughty people. But this one's kind of out of left field. I was going to say never have I ever had to fill out any regularity report while proctoring standardized (sighs) testing. But... Cheers. I've done it twice. Oh, I think I've done it too. Cheers. Same. I have. Yay. Emma, was your, Everybody. Was, yeah. Did yours involve a German teacher's cuckoo clock? It did. <laughs> the cuckoo clock went off. I remember that. <laughs> Make it stop cuckooing. <laughs> <laughs> that was one. The other involved a badly timed nosebleed. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Mine was my students like, yeah, I'm done. I'm just going to go. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Mine was just an external noise. Actually done. He just wasn't actually done. He's like, yeah, this, I'm done. I'm going to (laughs) go. All right. Does Emily still win? Is Emily the winner? Emily does still win with a total of five yeses I have evers. So, Emily, you win your own signed copy of Webb's Depth of Knowledge chart and a year's subscription to the free program Flip. Congratulations. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. It's been some straw into gold with my sketchy college experiences and so <laughs> forth. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll take it. Why not? Okay, so just want to give you all a little peek of what's coming up down the road for Grounded Learners Guild. Stick with us for some more episodes. We have a few more left in the tank to round out the season. The one that we're going to be looking at next is actually kind of a, a interesting topic because we're going to be zooming in on Gen Z, talking about the only generation that encompasses some of our students as well as some of our younger educators. So I think it would be a really interesting topic to really dig in on. Hope you can join us for that episode. And that's a wrap. It's so good to be behind the mics talking to you all. 
Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. If you'd like to connect, the power of the PLN continues as always, and you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, and on Twitter, at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie using the hashtag GLGPodChat. Do you even realize your feedback is everything? Feedback is a powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already, or are finding us for the first time, how about leaving us a review as well as subscribing? You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks as always for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. See you at the next Guild meeting. And don't forget, in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.